Welcome to the last in the series of Making a Splash, the arts and culture podcast that celebrates swimming and the sea. I'm your host, Amber Butchart, a dress historian and keen, but as you know, incredibly unaccomplished sea swimmer. I live five minutes from the Walpole Bay Tidal Pool, which is where I swim. The pool opened in 1937, an engineering feat of concrete blocks lowered into place by cranes between the tides. The walls capture four acres of seawater and a huge array of marine life, which is washed away with the tide twice a day. Chalk forms the bed of the tidal pool, carved by the sea and patterned with periglacial markings tens of thousands of years old. The pool is man-made, but has become part of the landscape, part of the seaside topography of the town. Limpets cluster on its walls, looking static like part of the scenery, with stony exteriors that disguise their tidal travels. The concrete is rough on bare feet and slippery with green marine algae. When the tide is low, rock pools twinkle tantalisingly over the side, filled with seaweed and possibility. It's an entire ecosystem so precious that it inspires evangelical praise from its regular swimmers. My guest this week knows this pool better than most. Gemma Kearney is a broadcaster and author who you may know from her numerous shows on Radio 1 and 6 Music, as well as her current TV show Landmark on Sky Arts. She's also a former Margate resident and a tidal pool devotee who's turning her hand to swimwear design. Stay tuned as we discuss the language of the sea, swimming through rainbows, meeting Grace Jones, and the best music to swim to. Firstly, huge congratulations on your TV show, Landmark. I am really, really enjoying it. It's fantastic. Such a great idea. For people who maybe haven't yet seen it, could you tell me a bit about the concept of the show and also how was it filming during lockdown? So Landmark is essentially a competition show, which makes me feel uncomfortable because I think that art is quite a subjective subject but I think Landmark is really interesting at the same time which is why I said yes to hosting it and we go around the country scouring the regions for artists to compete to win a huge budget to create a piece of public art that will be forevermore in Coventry which is City of Culture this year Um, but they get 100k to do it. So it's quite a serious thing. And in all the regional heats leading up to that, people have the brief of representing their area in a piece of art which is exhibited, um, which kind of takes us through their process, their vision, and why they should be considered in the final of Landmark. And you were doing a lot of the filming for it with a broken leg as well, which is a huge achievement. And they've done a really great job of not making that very obvious when you're actually watching the show. I mean, I only know that because I saw you just before you started filming and knew about the leg. But are you finding that swimming is helping with that healing process? Definitely. As soon as I'd broken my leg, which I did in three places, and I try not to talk about it too much anymore because I feel like that was a a chapter that's gone. (laughs) And I am up and about and it feels really good to 
for it not to be the main thing in my life. But yes, straight away, I wanted to see the water and I was getting my boyfriend to take me in my temporary wheelchair, which we bought on Gumtree because I was rubbish on my crutches so that I could be as agile as possible uh, to the water. And I was putting my leg in little rock pools and yeah, I was so yearning for salty water from the get-go. And are you doing physio in the sea now as well, like training? So I'm doing training in general, which feels really good because it's good to be back moving my body and exercising. And we were training by the sea, myself and my personal trainer, Joe, and we were just like, let's get in, which we do anyway for a swim at the end. And it became this holistic element to the otherwise dip post-workout that we really enjoyed. And I remember seeing a, a documentary about Usain Bolt where he was running in the swimming pool. So we just emulated it and started running in the sea and it was awesome. Oh, amazing. So nice. Now, I know that you're an enormous outdoor swimming fan and you'll hunt it out wherever you go, but you're also turning your love of swimming into part of your work now. Can you tell me about your Embodied Swims project? So Embodied is a labour of love and it is born out of my obsession with sea swimming mainly. I love outdoor swimming, cold water swimming, wild swimming as it's been coined in all these different directions. But I love swimming in the sea. It's as simple as that. And I can never really find the right garment to wear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And both of us have lived in Margate and know what it's like on the southeast coast in terms of sometimes you feel pulled to have an impromptu dip. So I have been thinking about creating the ideal range for years and years upon years. That is nothing to do with being sexy that has nothing to do with being part of a pack as well, because I think outdoorsiness has become pretty cool, which is great. Um, I also have seen it quite whitewashed, which is troubling. And I mean that in terms of race and commodified. And I don't really want to be part of that gang, which sounds contradictory to the fact that I want to create something that is accessible for everybody to be able to wear if they're going to the shops wanting to jump into a lock, dip in the sea with their mates, go to a festival that feels really free and for all. And I, yeah, I just want to create something that I want to wear. So I met a girl that works in retail who actually knows her stuff and we're developing fabrics because I want it to be sustainable, which is another enthusiasm and passion of mine. And I'm really excited because it is my hobby and my joy. I love clothes, I love swimming, and I love people. So combining them all is really great. It sounds so fantastic. Do you have any idea of a kind of timeline of when you might have things available or are you just taking it sort of as it comes? So at first we were super overexcited and we thought it'd be great to launch in the winter when everybody's feeling blue supposedly in January. And it takes longer than that because we're trying to develop something really forward thinking and futuristic in terms of ethically. So we've got some drawings which we really like as a foundation. 
And we're letting people know I've started an Instagram, which is just a hobby page at the moment and a place to feed back and talk to other people that like swimwear <laughs> and dipping and being in their own bodies. But in terms as to when it will come out, watch this space. I'm so excited. It has to be next year, I think. Something has to come out next year. And then I would love to collaborate and continue. For example, I would really like to have sunscreen that was golden and safe for us all, <laughs> including the planet. <laughs> That's such a great idea. And what is the Instagram page for people who want to find out more about that? It's embodied.swims. It's really simple to find. It's a small gang at the moment. But if you are genuinely in love with the water, come and hang out. And I like to post about other swimmers. So not many people know that Grace Jones, for example, loves to swim. And I interviewed her many years ago to my joy. And she talked about using her vocal cords in swimming pools and singing underwater. And she's a sea creature like me. <laughs> so I've posted her. I let, there's different people that I come across. But it's just a, it's a fan page. It's a, like, a fan page of nature. I did not know that about Grace Jones. That's so interesting. Can't imagine trying to sing underwater, but I guess probably in salty water, that's probably quite good for your vocal cords. So she's lived all around the world. And similarly to me, in terms of the way she spoke about it, it is her place where she finds a sense of, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but she was describing it in the way that I feel about water. Is it, it can create a familiar ground wherever you are. So if you travel a lot, to swim is a very special gift to give yourself. And she spoke about swimming in the sea in Jamaica, which is where she's originally from and she goes back to often, and swimming out really far, which I think is quite courageous. And I don't necessarily challenge myself in such a way to make it a risky habit. And I asked her whether she was scared about swimming out for hours really far in the ocean. And she said, if I saw a shark, I'd just punch him in the nose. <laughs> <laughs> I can well believe it, of Grace Jones. If I was a shark, I would be the scared one. <laughs> <laughs> because it's, just, it's amazing because so many people are afraid of the water for different reasons. But she's definitely not afraid. And she is the embodiment of a wild swimmer. I met Grace Jones once. Nisha and I were working at the Q Awards back when we were DJing and doing a lot of radio together. Uh, and she almost punched Nisha. <laughs> so wow. I can definitely imagine her punching a shark. What happened? She was obviously wearing, she had this incredible outfit on and we were sort of trying to do red carpet box pops, which neither of us, it's not our forte, to be honest. We're much better in, in the studio rather than on the red carpet talking to people. And she obviously had this incredible outfit on, including this kind of mask, um, which had like tendrils coming from it. And Nisha made the ultimate mistake of like putting her hand up to almost touch one of these tendrils. That was not, that did not go down well. You don't touch someone's tendrils. <laughs> no way. No way. Tendrils need their own space. Absolutely. A real sea creature is great. Yes. Totally. Now, do you think that seas would always, the sea would always be your favourite body of water to swim in? So recently I've moved to Scotland and we've been swimming in locks from time to time. 
I am actually on the East Coast, so I moved to Edinburgh, so I do get the sea too. But we've been trying to experience Scotland in the way that it is, which is really quite epic in terms of natural beauty. And I can't get the same fix. I like icy, salty water. I just do. I don't know what that is, and I don't know what it is. it says about me, but I love the cleansing factor of the salt. I love the bigness of the sea. I love the blueness of the sea. I love what it does. I find it almost quite holy. Well, it's interesting you say that because there are often swimming spots that take on these really mythic proportions, like the tidal pool in Margate, where we have both swum a lot. I've actually literally just come straight from the tidal pool now. Many people who swim there regularly do treat it as almost a religious experience. And it's the same with regular swimmers at places like the Hampstead Ponds as well. Why do you think that these bodies of water inspire such devotion? It's quite hard to explain, really. I have spoken about it a lot and used loads of words, which I think are now quite often in marketing campaigns for outdoor jackets. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? It's so weird when you love the sea from a heart level and a soul level to see it become so trendy which is cool it's the coolest thing ever it's way cooler than drinking hooch but it is hard to explain and it's invigorating beyond a cold drink I saw um, a Sprite being advertised the other day or a 7-Up a lemonade basically that we all know about I can't remember which one it was and the words were the same as having a cold shower just by having a sip of the lemonade and I was like that's not true That's definitely not true. But there there is something so special about being in cold water. So the UK has a lot to answer for, for the fact that it's broken in many ways. But at the same time, it is a strange cluster of islands. So when you make it to the coast, and if you get in the water, it will provide some kind of solace and soothing by at least waking you up (laughs) beyond a fizzy lemonade for sure it is strange isn't it it's like it's like ultimate late stage capitalism when the thing that you love doing suddenly becomes marketing copy it's so weird I'm, i'm not even that angry at it because if the idea of cold water is becoming part of people's everyday lives then that is quite literally awakening (laughs) in terms of becoming woke. (laughs) It does wake you up. You know, we need to be woken up. Our mental health is so fragile for a number of reasons, which we don't even really need to discuss because it's all so obvious, really. And to find a place where you're not on a device, where you might have a chat with someone in a gentle way, out of support or fun or feeling excited by the shock of the sea then I'm all for it it's very it's natural and it's primal and I I find it so beautiful music is something that's always been a part of your life and your career you've hosted shows on Radio 1 Extra Radio 1 Six Music and others as well loads what would be your ideal music to swim to or do you have any favorite songs about the sea This is quite funny because many years ago, I 
did a feature, I think for Heat magazine, weirdly. It was so long ago. And I went down to Hackney Lido to cover a particular event. And it was called Wet Sounds. And they had loads of DJs set up around the pool and created underwater music that you could hear perfectly via these floating speakers. And I remember it blowing my marbles. I couldn't understand how it worked, but I loved it. And ever since, I've thought about how, particularly in Margate, because the tidal pool is my one true love, how we could recreate that. I did email them once a few years ago saying, can we get some funding and just all go for an underwater disco? And it seemed as though it was possible. But in terms of what I would love to listen to, it's probably something more classical than people would expect. I mean, I don't know what people expect, but since the pandemic, my musical palette has broadened beyond what I ever even really knew. Not that I've been listening to shitloads of classical that makes me sound like someone that I'm not, but I had to listen to loads of pop music the other day because I was working at a festival, which is really mainstream. And I just found it really quite hysterical because I just haven't listened to current pop really at all. What would be good, Amber, you're good at this, what would be good to listen to underwater? Well, I actually think that that's a really good point. And I, I don't know anything about classical music, but I do know that sometimes now that we have a car, if we're doing a really long car journey, we'll sometimes put classic FM on. Of course you do. Because you and Rob are the coolest people in the world. Because <laughs> there's something really soothing about it, right? It feels like feels quite cleansing somehow and I'm sure that anybody that actually knows anything about classical music thinks that classic FM is the worst thing of all time. I think this is a nice opportunity to ask listeners if you've made it to this podcast you obviously love kooky things and people and I hope that you like some kind of weird or highbrow music so listener please let us know what we should be listening to when we managed to get funding for the speakers <laughs> to be playing our party in the tidal pool and you're invited let us know what we should be rocking out to or who should we have behind the decks i mean jazz would be great i was just thinking some sort of like really old school swing ella fitzgerald and chick webb that kind of like really early swing or like billy holiday i mean that's just stuff i always go back to anyway that's like that's my favorite and I think that has the same sort of soothing qualities as well, but also also has a beat. I would love to listen to Ella Fitzgerald underwater. That sounds like a cosmic experience that I'm down for. Let's make that happen. I don't know why people do all these really far-fetched experiences in terms of ayahuasca or psychedelic to an nth degree. I think fun is fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not anti. But at the same time, people really push themselves to have a mind-altering experience and really, we could probably do the same thing in the water. <laughs> and I don't mean get high, I mean experience something mind-altering without getting high. <laughs> I think that's a really good point. What's your earliest memory of swimming? Oh, that's quite a weird one because I nearly drowned when I was around three. My granddad had a villa in Menorca and we went to stay with him. And I had this obsession with jumping into the deep end in my rubber ring and sort of bobbing about. And I got told specifically not to do it without any adults around the pool. 
and I was waiting for far too long for my mum and dad to get up and get sorted. So one morning I toddled down there and I jumped in and I fell through my rubber ring and I remember just going down and down and thinking, I'm in trouble, but I wasn't scared because I was three and I didn't have a concept of dying necessarily, really. And I remember weirdly, and this is quite weird and morose, but finding it really beautiful. <laughs> it's so strange. But looking up and just being underwater and maybe not panicking was probably quite good for me, technically speaking. And then just seeing this massive hand just reach in and it was my dad pulling me out. I got so told off. I was more scared of getting told off for doing what I'm not supposed to. <laughs> um, but I do remember that really, really well. I've always been fascinated by the water. It's an escapism thing within me. So I've been writing this week. I'm away and I'm writing my book and... I am writing about mysticism and I was wondering how much I do take on board magical thinking personally, like in my actual life. I like woo-woo stuff, I just do. And one of the things that I found myself thinking about was how I used to look at bodies of water and when the sun hit them, you know, you get that glisten and that like sparkle. Mm. Again, it's quite disco, so imagine a disco ball how it just creates this ripple dazzle. I remember staring at these bodies of water in the sun and imagining a full party beneath with fishes and sea creatures and full bands. So this all makes sense in terms of the idea of having an actual rave underwater. I was imagining it from a child. And I find water romantic, healing, feel like it's a saviour somehow. Like my mood can completely change, which never isn't magic to me. From one dip, one dip, I can be in the worst funk and hate the world and be so sad. And then I can get in cold water and I just feel alive and free and ready to try and warrior this shit that we're all in. <laughs> One of my favourite new words that I recently, like over the last year, discovered is that exactly, you just described that with the sun, the sort of column of the, the sun on the water. When you get that with the moon, that's called a moon glade. Oh, I love that. Wonderful. Yeah, such an amazing word. That's wonderful, yes. I know that um, a shaft of light from the sun behind a cloud which you might get in those epic Kent skies around January no not necessarily January but like not in sunny times so winter turning into spring so February March it's called a glisk oh I really really like that's so nice I love these words they're just ah so evocative of what they what they mean it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. Are you allowed to talk any more about the book that you're currently writing? Yes, I've been banging on about it for a while, but I, I need to actually get it out there. I find writing really difficult, Amber. How have you written so many books? Oh, it's it's really legend? difficult. It's always <laughs> difficult. Yeah, it's I find painful. it painful. Yeah, act, but physically so. Like I always feel the bottom of my back like really aching and it's not because of how I'm sitting it's because of like how I'm emoting or how I feel about it 
and I need to change that up. I recently interviewed for the International Book Festival in Edinburgh a writer called Leone Ross, who's incredible, and she's brought out this magical realism novel that's huge and wonderful, set in a fake island that could be in the Caribbean. It's so cool. And she was describing editing her own words in such a rhythmic way that she dances to her own words when she's in a cafe. Wow. I loved that. And I thought I need to learn from that because it needs to become a joyous experience because I'm kind of always writing, but I'm not always enjoying it. And I, it shouldn't be a punishment. It should be something more special than that. Mm. Anyway, that's me berating myself. I am writing a book called The Immortal Sisterhood. And in short, basic form, it is a book of anecdotes and essays about women that have been written out of history. And I think lots of great, clever, curious thinkers will know of some of these women. But what I'm doing is highlighting certain elements of their life, which I have found inspiring. I have had a big life, a full life so far, all sorts of ups and all sorts of downs, as many. And one of the things that I found really helpful is not necessarily to pay for a life coach or <laughs> read particular quotes or, I don't know, we have a very fast system in terms of sorting ourselves out these days. But I think learning about the plight of others and overcoming specific challenges and taking the time to actually research and learn, particularly about the story of women, if you are a woman, it's very empowering. And though the heartbreak is that many of these women's lives ended in tra tragedy because the past was fucking hardcore, they did so much in their time here. And I really would love to honour that. And it does inspire me and it does keep me going sometimes, particularly the story of women of colour who nobody seems to feel comfortable to talk about. And I don't know, really know why, because there's so many absolutely epic ones <laughs> that I really want to tell a bit of their story and to, in a literary form, high five them. It sounds absolutely fantastic. When is it going to be out? When can we absorb these stories? Spring 2023. So look out for it. There is a hashtag already, The Immortal Sisterhood, on my Instagram. And I love this as a subject because people start to bring up different women that they've heard about that have inspired them. And I think that's important. I have a deep respect for those that have lived before us because it's always been hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I think to represent, to honour um, and to think about the lives of our ancestors is a special and privileged thing to do. So if anybody wants, again, to kind of get involved in this and hashtag the Immortal Sisterhood with a, a response or a feeling or a thought to somebody that they think is just absolutely badass, then I would love to see that. I think that's so encouraging that it is such a conversation starter that, you know, you say, you, you mention what you're doing and people mention other women. And, and I think that that really gets to the crux of basically everything that you do, which is all about communicating and all about starting conversations throughout every walk of your life, every area that you work in. It's all about having those conversations, starting those conversations and just really getting people talking and thinking. So I can't wait to read it. 
Thank you. I'm really excited. Now that you're in Edinburgh, how often do you get to swim? So not as much, which is sad. But when I learn to drive, which I'm going to do next year, finally, for goodness sake, it's taking me far too long to learn to drive. It's ridiculous. I'm 36. I will drive down to the sea because it's only 15 minutes to Portobello. Edinburgh is an incredible city, which I know loads of people already know, but it's because of the simple things, really. And the fact that it's got a huge mountain, which I did break my leg on (laughs) in March. And I will forgive Arthur for his seat at some point. But it's also got the beach. It's excellent. It's a city that you can get about and do all sorts of city snazzy things. But you can also go to the beach and the mountain or even further than that, find other bits of coast very, very easily. So in the summer, we were going at least once a week. I want to go more. I really do. The beach is amazing there as well. And the sea is fantastic. So I will do it more. I miss it. I miss it. (laughs) I miss being able to see it. As you know, I'm in Greece right now, which is excellent for me. I haven't swam today yet, but I will be very soon. I chase the sea. I really do. And I keep talking to my boyfriend because we dream a lot. I'm a big dreamer and I would love to build a house. And if I ever get the opportunity to build a house, it will have to be by the sea. Otherwise, what am I doing it for? I can't wait to come and visit you in Edinburgh. I've not yet swum at Portobello and I'm really looking forward to it or in a lock so that I want to do the whole, all of it. Last time I was in Edinburgh, which was pre-pandemic, up for the festival, saw you there, saw some of the shows you were working on. I had a fantastic time. We went to Queensbury which is another place I'd really like to swim if I go back. We went up for the uh, Burryman Parade, this incredible annual uh, parade where uh, a man in the village gets covered in all of these burrs. It's uh, literally wild. So we went up for that, but that was beautiful. I love Scotland. It's so out there in terms of its kind of hardiness and Scottishness. It's just in your face. It's loud and it's hard and I like it. (laughs) (laughs) And political and gruff and historical and proud. Yeah, I really love being in Scotland. There's something about collectively being in unpredictable weather that brings people together. (laughs) (laughs) Even if it's in like strange traditions like that, as you say, like, what? Okay, (laughs) in Scotland, it weirdly makes sense. And the weather was (laughs) awful for it as well. It was absolutely (laughs) torrential. (laughs) It's so weird, my evolving relationship with the weather, because when I was by the sea, we had our, what was it, like a microclimate that everybody talks about on the southeast coast and planet, which is hilarious. But I did get really sunburnt one afternoon on a sunny afternoon in Margate. And I was like, what? But now that I've moved to Scotland, I was first of all yearning for the sun. And I saw an old lady in the waiting room of my physio. And I said, oh, it's really warm out there. And she's like, I know. And I was like, apparently it's warmer than down south. We've beaten them today because it was always much hotter. Like when you look on Instagram and all my mates in Margate is having the best beachy day. And I was like, yeah, we've beaten down south. And she was like, horrified that I mentioned down south not necessarily from an anti-English perspective but just the fact that I would somehow be into the weather down south she was like oh no oh no like I can't do her accent but it was super Scottish she was like no 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 like down there it's far too hot (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) and I was like oh 
God. <laughs> and then after that, I proceeded to tell people off when they told me that it was too hot on sunny days because I believe that we have to be nice to the sun. And if we want it to stick around, we have to worship it. So people being like, oh, I can't cope with it. I'm like, come on. Edinburgh is one of the most beautiful cities in the world, particularly in the sun. <laughs> so can we not have a go about it? Because it's not here that often. And then really weirdly, like something's happened where I came down to London recently and I got off the train and it was so kind of polluted and close. Does that make sense? Like that idea of yeah. being close, yeah. like muggy. And we got off the train and I'd come from school and I was like, it's too hot. <laughs> <laughs> you are properly Scottish now. <laughs> I don't know what's happened, but it, I wanted the freshness and I was like, everyone's very clammy down here. <laughs> so I turned into that old lady. <laughs> brilliant brilliant it's your destiny <laughs> <laughs> but I would like to swim more is the answer I really would if I can see water I will swim in it every day I'm addicted who would be your ideal swimming companion real or imaginary dead or alive it always goes back to grace our mutual friend and I um Anna Hart who's awesome, an amazing writer. It's Anna that I've just been in the tidal pool with. Yes, another <laughs> mermaid. We say that we worship Grace. And I remember at the end of our interview, she wouldn't let me have a picture with her because she was out of Grace guise, like, in the sense that she wasn't sort of Grace Jones that evening in an amazing hat of tentacles. She was just chill and I got it. I really respected it. But what she did say to me was, if you're ever in Jamaica, darling, then let me know. And I was like, whoa. Being half Jamaican and at that point never having been to the island, I just thought that sounded like a very cool idea. So having a dip with Grace in Jamaica, which I have now been to, and there's some awesome swims to be had there as well, would be absolutely brilliant. I keep using the word awesome now because I'm in awe constantly, <laughs> particularly when it comes to water. So Grace would be great. Who else? Grace is a great one, to be fair. What about you? Oh, God. Do you know, I've never thought about... I ask that question to everyone I've done the podcast with and I've never thought about my own answer. I'd love to get my mum in the water. She and there's, and never swam with me, but I think that, that would be quite a cool thing to do. Actually, that's a really nice thought. My mum can't swim mm. and she's tried her whole life. She's like 78 now. So I guess if I could swim with anybody... It would be really nice for my mum to be able to swim and to swim with her. That would be lovely. That's so nice. Next time she comes to see you in Margate, you should definitely at least be paddling together. Have you done that? Yeah, we must have paddled together at some point. And she's better now than she has been before. She'll, she's got quite into using, like, she's got some, like, adult armbands and, like, Amazing. getting in the swimming pool and stuff. And she's just, just, for a long time, she was scared of water. But she's now really, she loves being in the water and being in with floats and things. She's really gets why it's so amazing. So I think giving her the gift of swimming would be very nice. That's lovely. Where's your favourite place that you've ever swum? That is a fantastic question. I think over the years, so I lived in Margate for six years, the tidal pool became my best friend and my boyfriend. When I didn't have a boyfriend, I used to actually be in love with that tidal pool and thank it. Be like, thank you. That was lovely. <laughs> like <there's laughs> such joy and love and pleasure for the swims that I had and beach days as well, just staring at it. <laughs> so I think that the tidal pool is one of my most favourite places to swim. I genuinely mean that. 
apart from that, I'm really lucky. I have traveled a lot with my work. I have a real wanderlust within me. But I have swum in lots of places. I swam in Portobello one year when I was in Edinburgh for the festival a few years ago. So before I lived there, through a rainbow, which was pretty cool. Oh, wow. It was sort of coming out of the sea. I mean, I know that that sounds bizarre because in terms of geography or weather or science, I, it's, you probably can't swim through a rainbow, but it was popping out of the sea. And it was just like me in this rainbow. And then one other guy in a wetsuit who was taking it all very seriously and probably training for a triathlon or something. But he was like doing proper laps. And I was just like, like a little puppy, just so excited about this rainbow and being in this icy cold water. I love that. There's been loads of special swims. I remember I was working in Guadeloupe for a few days in the Caribbean and it was that beautiful tropical landscape and in my eye I could see actual paradise, turquoise seas, white sands and there was this floating, I don't know how to describe it, like square so almost like a parameter that was a floating tidal pool so that you could swim in amongst it and all the kids like from the island were just splashing about in what to me represented the most psychedelic tropical tidal pool I've ever seen (laughs) and it was delighting me so that was ace yeah there's been some awesome swims you swimming through a rainbow is just the most Gemma thing I can imagine. (laughs) (laughs) That very much gets to the heart of you, I think. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening and thanks to Gemma for being such an enigmatic guest. Thanks also for joining me throughout this series. If you've enjoyed it, please do rate and subscribe, then I will make some more. See you next time on Making a Splash. (laughs) 